Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 102nd edition of the PJ Archive. It's a phone interview I did with the American singer-songwriter and musician David Gates, who's best known as co-lead singer of the group Bread, and as the writer of their internationally successful hits from the 1970s, including If, Make It With You, Baby I'm A Want You, and everything I own. I had the pleasure of interviewing the gentlemanly Mr Gates in 2001, and I began by asking him what he was working on. I am working on new songs for a proposed album project I have in my mind, and I've got about four or five things well underway, and the actual project is not solidified yet, but I'm just trying to get some things so when I can get a deal together that I like, I'll have the material ready to go. So I'm in a songwriting and demoing phase, and in some cases I've started master recordings. Which record label is it likely to be with, do you think? have no clue. Okay. And have you got a title for the project? I don't either for that. Uh, I'm just assembling good songs. That's the key thing anyway. And after you've finished it, are you likely to tour? I think so. Um, You know, I've had pretty good luck with that, especially in all the Commonwealth uh, countries. And plus, at home, there's certain markets that I am pretty strong in and some that I stay away from. So if I can get this album project going and uh, get a release, I would like to tour behind it or at least do promotion and uh, television, radio, whatever a person can do to, you know, wake people up to the project. I'm sure I can recommend a good publicist over here. There you go. Um, How much songwriting do you do nowadays? Well, you know, it goes on in your head all the time. Uh, Even if you're out driving the car and so forth, I'm always working on something. I spend probably on average three hours a day. But there's a lot of other things that I do. And some days, you know, I might spend a little more and some days less, just depending on what's going on. Three hours a day. You must have written millions of songs. Well, you know, you discard a lot of things. You know, not all of them turn out to be good, and, and you'll have little starts and bits and pieces, and I'm still carrying around melodies from ten years ago I don't have words for yet. <laughs> so it's sort of an ongoing process, and then you try to home in on the ones that seem like they're going to be the best and postpone the ones that maybe are not quite as good. Is it the melody that comes first for you? Always. Really? I have occasions when the words and music come at the same time, which is fabulous. Because to completely finish a song with the melody and then have to go back and put words is more difficult than doing them side by side. Are you inspired by different things these days? Yeah, you know, you'll, you'll latch on to an idea, and the idea might come from just about any old place, you know, something that you see or read or somebody tells you, or a thought that maybe has never been expressed before in a song. You're you're trying to be original all the time, and it's kind of hard because there's not much that hasn't been said. Mm -hmm. But you've got to be original to your own work, plus everything else that everybody else has done. Just try to find a new way to say the same thing. How do you feel your recent songwriting compares to that of your bread days? Uh, It's different in that... uh, You know, it's not a lot different. If you hear the stuff I'm writing today, you'd know right away who it was. But the difference is now I tend to have more story songs. Hmm. Back then it was mostly one-on-one love songs, and now I'll write one of those and then a story song, and then one of those and then a story song. 
you said it, you know, you'd immediately recognise it as one of your songs. Is that something you feel you have to do for the fans because they always expect a David Gates song? No, that's just the way it comes out. Right. It's, uh, it's just like riding a bicycle, you know, that's the way it works. And I don't contrive it because uh, if that's just the natural flow of the choice of chord progressions and melodies that I like. And I'm not even aware of it. I don't know about America, but certainly in this country, there's a sort of ageism in the media. You know, if you're over a certain age, you're past it. They don't want to know anymore. Right. Um, is that very frustrating for an artist like yourself who's still got incredible talents? Well, it is as far as songs, but it's not as far as being a recording artist. Because, you know, the day that you enter the record business at 21 or whatever it is, you figure I'm going to be here till I'm 30 and that's it. Mm. So it's a, that comes with the business. But good songs can be written, you know, by people way up into their 60s and 70s. All of the young kids who buy all the records don't want to see a 60-year-old singing it. So if you can get the songs to somebody in the younger bracket, if you're strictly a songwriter and you can't do them yourself. In my case, I kind of cover both bases. Maybe I, can, I still have enough fans, I can do some things on my own, but I don't expect to appeal to the 16-year-old kids. Who would you like to write songs for now, then, of the younger artists? What I write could easily go to an InSync or Backstreet Boys or Mariah Carey or, you know, just anybody that's got a good voice, a Tina Arena, the Coors, except they write all their own stuff. So that sort of thing, you know, just good melodies, good uh, chord changes and good lyrics and good thoughts. Do you try and get your stuff to them? Yes, I have inroads to all of those people, and when I feel like I have a good song, I'll send it off. A lot of times I'll write something, and it turns out to be something I want to keep for myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a funny thing. I say, hey, that's pretty good. I'm going to send that out. I'm going to keep it. Do you occasionally find some of today's artists saying in interviews or whatever, I was a real bread fan? Yeah, you see that quite a bit. That must make you very proud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pleasing to know. But, you know, it's because they like the form of the music and the fact that the songs lasted and uh, that it's pretty good quality stuff. How much time do you spend reflecting these days on the golden 70s days with bread? Almost none. <laughs> Why? I don't look back. Right. You know, I mean, you got to do what you... There's so much going on and so much to do is you need to move forward. You know, it's, once in a while it's nice to go back and maybe play some of the old things just to, for reference. I like to go back mostly to play the, those records to hear my vocals to see how I'm doing them different in concert today. It's interesting because I don't do them quite the same. And then you wonder, why are you doing it different now than what you did on the record? In some cases, I like it better the way it was on the record, so I go back and relearn it. When was your last album and your last tour? 1994 was the last album I did Gosh. for Discovery Records, which is a subsidiary of Warner's. Mm -hmm. And I've been touring up until last fall. Right. About a year ago, I asked the booking agent there in the U.S., uh, to leave me alone so I could write and record. <laughs> and I didn't do that much anyway, maybe 20, 30 concerts a year in the U.S. Do you often find yourself in places wherever you are in the world and they're suddenly playing one of your songs on the speaker or whatever? Yeah, quite a lot of that. That's always fun. Can you give me an example? Well, it'll be in... Uh, you walk in, somebody's playing If on the piano bar or you're in the elevator and you hear Make It With You that type of thing. As far as an example, uh, you know, I've been in the country here a little bit, and I can't remember. I heard something just the other day, uh, Make It With You on the radio, or 
in some store I walked in. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Is it sort of disappointing to have your music played in elevators and in hotel foyers? Not at all. I mean, if they're going to play somebody's songs, it might as well be mine. <laughs> it's more royalty, isn't it? Well, yeah, and it's also that the melody's good enough that it will transcribe into an orchestral arrangement. Yeah. A lot of songs like uh, Louie Louie, you can't do that. That's true. Were you from a musical family originally? Yes. Uh, my father was a band and orchestra director. My mom was a piano teacher. And, and I had two older brothers and an older sister that all played and I was the youngest, absorbing all this music. A lot of classical music, too. When you were a kid, was there anything else you ever considered doing with your life? Yeah, I, uh, my dad didn't think I should do music for a living, because he, you know, he said, do it as a hobby, but it's hard to make a living at it. So I started off in college as an English major, and I, I don't know exactly what I was going to do, uh, doctor, lawyer, or something, but the music... I was too strong, so I ended up going that direction. I just felt that I was good enough at it. I'd like to go to California and Los Angeles and give it a try, you know. I, was, I grew up in Oklahoma. When you were very young, did anyone tell you you'd be special, you'd be a star one day? No, my dad used to say he would bring home different instruments from the band, you know, clarinets and trumpets, and, and so that I could learn to play them. He'd bring it home over a weekend, and... And he used to say, you know, I'd pick it up and start playing. I said, that kid can play anything. And I was born with perfect pitch, which is uh, helpful. Yeah. So I had a few little tip-offs that music might be the way to go. But you never know, you know. There's a lot of good people who are good musicians and writers that never really kind of break through. You got uh, married and had children very young, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh, how young were you? Uh, I was 18. And my wife's sitting right over here. We've been married 42 years. And do you think at the time perhaps it was unwise to get settled down so quickly? Well, you don't really have a choice. So when the right person comes along, you got to go for it. <laughs> you know, you've always been a huge romantic, because your songs certainly suggest that. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I'm a big believer in all that stuff. So tell us how and when you met your wife. And It was in high school, you know. Uh, we were both about 16, I guess. And we actually went to two different schools that were rivals, and uh, she caught my eye over there in the other school, and, and we'd met a few other places. And, and so uh, we went together, I guess, a year and a half or two years before we got married. Right, Joe Rita. Yep. And your children? Uh, Richard and Angeline and Craig and Laura Lee. Yeah, at the time you were sort of struggling financially, I believe. You know, when I first started, yeah. Yeah, I mean, did you always feel that you would be okay, that you'd come through? Yeah, I did, because, you know, when we left Oklahoma, I did have a job waiting in a band, playing bass and singing. And, uh, you know, even though we, we just kind of barely made it for the first few months, I had a lot of confidence that I could get work. And, you know, maybe not make big money, but I could at least feed the family. Mm, but it must have been difficult trying to take care of a career and a big family. Well, there were times, but, you know, I met some good people, and I got off to a good, quick start. When I got to Los Angeles, I, I worked in clubs a little bit, but I soon went into the recording studio uh, and started playing on demo sessions, playing bass and rhythm guitar. And then, they, you know, I, since I could read and write music, they gave me little arranging jobs, and I used to write out uh, lead sheets for the songs that we would demo so that the 
publisher could send them in for copyright. Everything had to be copyrighted in written form in those days. So I got, they'd send me home with the tape of the session, and I'd sit there and transcribe it out in pen and ink onto an onion skin, okay. which then could be uh, copies made and then sent off to the copyright department. As you explained earlier, originally from Oklahoma, was it ever possible that you'd go into country music? I didn't have the voice for it. Um, I like it, and I, I have some contacts in that area, and I can write it, but I don't, I don't sing it as well because my voice is not quite suited to the style that they like in country music. From what I've read about you, you seemed sort of reluctant to perform your own songs originally. That's true. It I took did, a bit of persuading. I did an awful lot of writing for other artists, but a lot of the songs I didn't think were being done properly, and good songs were being lost in the studio. And it was that time that I thought, you know, heck, I might as well do it myself. I've got as good a chance to have a hit with it as some of these other renditions, you know. But previously you'd been a bit shy of going into the limelight. Would that be right? Yes. How did your unique singing style develop? Well, I always just kind of always sung like that, and I didn't think my voice was very commercial. As a matter of fact, when Make It With You was the first hit being played on the radio, I was a little embarrassed <laughs> to hear myself on the radio as I didn't think I'd sing that good. But then I heard Randy Newman singing, and I thought, well, I guess I'm as good as he is. And what about Bob Dylan? I mean, <laughs> yeah, and Leon Russell and a bunch of people I knew that. Well, these guys don't sing any better than I do, <laughs> so I might as well do it too. Bread are said to have been formed by accident. Can you explain that? Well, I'm not sure it'd be exact accident, but I would. I was producing a band from which uh, there was one guy in that group, and he and his songwriting buddy. And I formed the original Bread, so it was James and Rob and myself. Mm -hmm. We had no drummer. And James and Rob were looking to start a group, and I was thinking about recording my own songs and hadn't thought about whether I should do them as an individual or a group, but I liked James's voice and the way that we harmonized together. So it seemed like it was a little bit better sound than just me by myself, so we thought we'd have a little better chance uh, as a group. Have you ever regretted naming the band Bread? Not really. It worked out pretty good. It certainly did, yeah. Did you ever consider anything else, though? Not a thing. As a matter of fact, that was the first good idea we ever had for a name. <laughs> How do you classify the music of Bread? Well, you know, it's been branded light rock or soft rock. And I suppose, I don't really know if, it's, if there's anything better, you know, pop. The terms seem to change over the decades, but... I don't know, it just seemed like it was pretty good quality music with chords and harmony. and But, you know, I always didn't worry about that because other people would would put the title on it for you. Or, you know, if you go into the record store, you know where to look. Sometimes it was called Easy Listening. You remember that? Yeah, of course. So you had it all. It just depends whatever the record store wants to call it. And your songs are often described as sentimental. How do you feel about that description? Um, I think it's a good one. Uh traditional, sentimental, emotional, spiritual, you know, something that hits you in the heart. That's the whole idea. I've been asked to ask you if you'd be kind enough to tell us what inspired six of your most famous songs. Uh -huh. um, make it with you. Could you just explain what inspired that song? That was a popular phrase at the time. And uh, I was just able to work it into a song, 
you know, and I want to make it with you through through our life, basically. So it, it was just such a popular phrase, which is, you know, a good source of song sometimes. What about if? That one was kind of a special situation. Um, it just came to me one night. Uh, all the family had gone to bed, and I went to the kitchen table with a guitar and some pencil and paper. And I remember starting about 9.30 at night, and by 11 o'clock I was done. It was very unusual to complete a song that quickly with that quality. And it, I, when I wrote it and finished, I thought, this is the best thing I've ever written, and I may never be able to beat it. I don't know, it just came together perfectly. Do you think, still think it's the best thing you've ever written? Yeah. I got a, I got a new one most people haven't heard that's the second best. But uh, What's the, that one? Uh, well, there's actually a, a two and a three. One's called Love is Always 17, and the other one's called Find Me. And I'm going to try to get those heard pretty quick. But if it's definitely, you know, I mean, it's head and shoulders probably above everything else. What can you tell us of Baby I'm a Want You? I just had that, I had a melody that had that uh, number of syllables, and I was hunting for something that's kind of catchy to go with it, and once again, it just came out of thin air. You, you know, you try different lines over different melodies until you find something that seems to really work. And I, you're never quite exactly sure how the song pro songwriting process works. What about Everything I Own? Well, I wrote that for my father. Um... When my wife and I first moved to California, on uh, my mom's birthday, my wife suggested that we send back to my mom for her birthday an orchid from the florist. Right. And we sent her an orchid, and when we called her on her birthday, I talked to my dad also for a few minutes. He said, when she got that orchid, you could have had anything she owned. Uh -huh. And I remembered that phrase, and uh, he passed away in 1963, some years later, I was trying to come up with a little uh, memory song for him, you know. Yeah. And I remembered that phrase and changed it just to everything I own. I started with anything I own, but that's where that inspiration came from. Now, many people's favorite, the diary. Yeah, I'm afraid I just made that up. I didn't really find someone's diary. <laughs> so I don't dash their hopes on the rocks. <laughs> so it's a heck of an idea, though, isn't it? It certainly is. It's a superb song, yeah. Is it one of your favorites? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's easy and fun to sing, and people always enjoy hearing it. Guitar Man, the last one. That's based on, you know, me seeing musicians just out playing clubs, dances, whatever they can find. Don't matter how many people are there, they just like to play, and they're going to play until they drop, you know, their whole life as long as they can. And that's just what that's about, once you're a musician, always a musician. Now, Brett had six hit albums in the UK, but surprisingly only five hit singles. Do you consider yourselves an album band, really? Well, I don't know exactly why that happened, because we had 11 singles in the U.S. going with those albums. I guess just a few of them over here just <laughs> fell through the cracks or maybe didn't suit the taste of the market here. Uh, although, you know, when I get up and play all those 11 songs... They're all well-known here, and I guess it's taken over the years and maybe some of the best of bred albums and so forth for people to learn to know the songs, but I can't tell you exactly why they didn't all cross over the ocean. Did you, all of you in bred, ever behave like rock stars? Was it a sort of classic 70s situation? I don't think so. We were pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you wanted to be that, more sort of straightforward and gentlemanly. Yeah, and... Uh, 
nobody was wild and crazy. I mean, it was just really, we were more interested in the music and doing a good job and staying sober and stuff. That's why we never got much press. We were too, too boring. Do you think, looking back, that was a, a bad idea? You should have perhaps got some more press. Well, I don't know if you can manufacture that stuff, you know. You'd have to go out of character to do it, and then it doesn't feel comfortable. You've got to kind of be yourself and let the chips fall. Did you get fans, girls, throwing themselves at you? Not really. No, it was more respect. Uh, was that a disappointment at all to any of the lads? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't remember talking to them much about that. <laughs> Fair it's enough. kind of personal, you know, and so I don't... We never had a lot of discussions about that. It was more like... You know, trying to recreate the songs and do a good job. You, we figured if we played good concerts, you know, everything else would take care of itself. What do you consider the highlights of your time with Bread? I think getting to perform in some of the very fabulous places. You know, we got to play in Carnegie Hall and Royal Albert Hall, Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C., and then some big outdoor 25,000-seat, uh, these outdoor summer theaters. Um, that I mean, getting to play in some of those nice places, and we had some orchestras with us a few times. So I think that's great. Did you ever have any famous fans? Well, I think that we're well known because, because I run into people who have, you know, in the industry or who have some of our albums or know my work as a writer. And, you know, as far as who they exactly are, I, I don't know. But, you know, I know Stevie Wonder had liked some of my stuff and Babyface and just things that you read, that you hear, and people talk to you. So I think everybody in the industry kind of knows everybody else, even though they've never met. And they'll like certain artists more than others. So I've gotten a lot of good compliments kind of through the grapevine from people. You said earlier you played the Royal Albert Hall. Have you ever met our royal family? I haven't. No, I never have. Is that a disappointment to you? Well, you know, I've just never had the occasion. I think that some of the events, the special concerts and things, I've never been involved in to have that opportunity. So it's not a disappointment in that, you know, it's never been a goal. If it happened, it'd be great, but I'd never set out to do that. Mm. Did you ever consider changing the style of bread? Was it ever discussed? Well, you couldn't. You know, after we got going, uh, the style kind of became... The style that we played music was what came out naturally, and to change it, we'd have to go out of character again. Mm. We did put out one single called Mother Freedom, which is kind of a hard rock thing. Right. And radio didn't want to play it. We had a heck of a time. It, it only got to about number 30 in the U.S., and uh, by that time, because it came right after If, so they just said, hey, that's not bread. We're not going to play that. <laughs> so by that time, you're sort of branded, although you have some flexibility, but... Uh, you can't really change dramatically. Looking back now, would you have handled the career of Bread differently? I don't think so. Um, you know, I thought we did about as good as we could, and we, we maybe could have gone longer, but, we, we, you know, I think it was great, and it was a very intense period, a three-and-a-half or four-year period, that we were really having to tour and record, and, and there was never any rest in there, and I think we kind of got wore out. I wouldn't change it anything, though. Did the fact that you were regarded as the big star of Bread cause jealousy among the rest of the group? The, the problem that was caused was that the, the, the singles and the vocals ended up being all mine, although the opportunity existed for James and Rob to have their songs also be singles. 
but the record company did the choosing, and the rule was, you know, the best song that was available was put out as a single. And so there was that little interbred uh, competition between the two writing groups, and that might have irritated them a bit that any none of their songs were picked as singles, but it wasn't because they didn't have the opportunity. When and why did Bread split up initially? Because of what I just told you, 1973. But, I mean, do you think, basically, you'd never really split up for good, have you? Well, we went back together in 1977 because we owed the record company one more album on our contract. And they kept after us year after year to to do that last album. And I told them, I said, I don't think the situation has changed within the group, but we'll go ahead and do this one album and fulfill our obligation, which we did, and we did a little tour behind it. But the situation hadn't changed. Uh, then in 1996 and 97, we got back together to do a little reunion tour with no recording, just a world tour. And we went out and played a bunch of countries we'd never played in the 70s. And we did 63 concerts over a couple of years. And that was the the only reformation. We called it the 25th anniversary reunion tour. It was just to get a play and, and have some fun and go play some of these countries and faraway places we'd never done before. And will there be any more reunions? No, one's enough. Really? Yeah, I thought, yeah, it's there's no need to do it, you know. It's like, been there, done that, time to move on, do something different. But how much contact do you have with the other Bread members now? Um, mostly through email, maybe once every two months or once every three months, because everybody's doing their own separate stuff. And we kind of keep in touch once in a while. If some interesting letter comes that we think that everybody should see, they'll email it to the other one. But you don't all miss working together? Not really. Uh, it's You miss sometimes playing in a band, hmm. but you can do that with other people. May we know what other successful artists you're friends with that you worked with or whatever? Well, most recently I've done some things with a country singer named Billy Dean. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know I tend to be a bit of a loner. I haven't done anything much with with other artists. Uh, there's a few that I would like to, but just haven't gotten around to. And you know people get busy. They're off doing this. They're off doing that. So I'm mostly just working on my own. Your songs are often covered. Which is your favorite of those covers? Oh boy, I uh, I'm not sure I have a one you know outstanding favorite because you know Aretha Franklin did Make It With You and Gladys Knight did Part Time Love and Boy George and Lean Sink did Everything I Own there's a lot of good covers but I can't really give you one that stands out to me there's there's been a lot of good ones so what did you think of Telly Savalas's version of If? wasn't that interesting <laughs> what did you think of it? well he did the best he could you know he spoke it God the thing went number one here that's right I, I was in the country at the time it was number one they tried to get he was here also, they tried to get us together for a picture to get in the newspaper, but we couldn't seem to make that happen. Did you ever meet him? Never did. What about um, Boy George? Have you met him? Never have. Wouldn't, would you like to have met these people? Or it'd be fun, but you know you can't. You know you can't really go out of your way to do it. If you have some publicist that's beating on you and dragging you around, it'll probably get done. But personally, I don't seek out that sort of thing. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, uh, don't worry about it. When you first went solo, to what extent did you miss being in a band, especially such a hugely successful one? Well, you have a little bit more power uh, within a known band than when you go out on your own. So you have to work, start over again in some respects and work a little harder at getting in the door, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. 
and that's the hardest part, you know. You still have a lot of respect for the work that you've done. But uh, in some respects, it's like starting over. How satisfied have you been with your career as a solo artist? Well, I think pretty good, because, you know, I really look at myself as a songwriter more than anything else. So I judge uh, based on the quality of the songs I've been able to write and how they're received. And so that's I've been happy with that side of it. But, you know, when I got out of the group, I never intended to go at the same pace and speed that we were going in the group. I mean, that's killer pace, really. Have you ever been offered any movie roles? No, I did a TV part one time, and uh, my kids all told me I was such a bad actor, I never tried it again. Oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> what was that uh, TV? It was in one? a Hardy Boys oh, yeah. TV series, and they said, oh, Dad, boy, you better stick to music, you know, and this kind of stuff. <laughs> so I never tried it. Did you secretly hope to be a movie star? Oh, God, no way. Why? Well, two reasons. First of all, I have absolutely no talent at it. And the second is the if you think the record business is a little crazy, the movie business is ten times crazier. Uh, I just stay away from that as far as I can. In the music business, do you feel you've been given the respect that you deserve? Absolutely. Because of the, the compliments and respect I've gained from other writers and artists, and, uh, you know, just people know me and my work, and they respect what I've done, so it's very satisfying. Have you deliberately sought a, a low profile since, you know, in the, in the last you know, 10 or 20 years? Have you deliberately tried to tone down your high-profile activities? Um, not specifically, but it ends up being that way. If you're not a publicity seeker, you end up in the low-profile group. It's more important that the songs go out and do the work, not the person, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, when I was looking, you know, researching this interview, I mean, there's very little cuttings on you. You've hardly done any press at all. That's true. Uh, why, why have you hardly given any interviews? I'm not exactly sure. You know, when there's product out on the market, there's some reason to go out and make some noise and do interviews and get on TV and so forth, so that it's in conjunction with new things that you're doing and people want to go down to the store and buy the record or they like what they heard. And there's a lot of coordinated activity around it when you're not doing anything at the moment uh, a lot of publicity doesn't do you a lot of good and that doesn't mean i try to stay away from it but it's more logical to seek publicity and point out the work that you're doing when you actually have something new or something to talk about otherwise it's best just to kind of lay low in 1995, it was reported that you'd retired to an 800-acre ranch in Northern California. Was that right? Actually, it was a 6,500-acre ranch. <laughs> so that was wrong. It wasn't 800 acres. Uh, actually, I moved up there in 1987 and uh, was a rancher until two years ago when I sold the ranch and moved back to Southern California. Why but I was still doing music up there. It's just I'd always wanted to live in the country and do the ranching. And I could still do both up there. How difficult was it to become a rancher? Very hard work. It's not difficult to become one. You just have to buy the ranch and the cattle. But the work is hard. But it's something I always wanted to do. And did you sort of fulfill that satisfaction in yourself? Yes. I took this ranch from, from a 1 to a 10. Actually, it was probably a 5 when we started. It was a really good quality place. But we improved it and uh, built up a really fine quality cattle herd and just did all the things that we had wanted to accomplish. It took about 10 or 12 years to get to that point. And then once we got there, 
there was really not much more we could do in the way of improvement. It became more just maintenance. And since the work is so difficult, we figured it's time to move back to the city to a little easier lifestyle. What's it like to live in a sort of fairly ordinary house compared to a massive ranch? Well, it's a, the biggest difference is up at the ranch, you know, you're in the country and you've got these gorgeous views of 14,000-foot mountains, snow-capped, and so it's a big vista. And where we are now, you're in a, you know, you just see treetops and other houses and a few rolling low hills. Although it's still where we are, it's pretty quiet and fairly private because there's a lot of trees. But the biggest difference is, is you don't have the big wide open spaces that you used to have. And do you have a studio in this house too? Yes, I do. And do you use that for all your own stuff, or do you? Yeah, no, I, it's just for me, and it's I, it's just a converted bedroom, but it works really good because all of today's equipment is so compact, and you can get everything you need in a small area. And I have the guitars and bass and synthesizers, and I've got a system where I can, the grand piano in the living room through the MIDI cable, I can record it uh, by sitting in the studio and playing a, a keyboard controller, and it drives the grand piano in the other room, and I can put mics on it and record it back in the room I'm sitting in. God. So it's, you know, I've got what I need to do what I should be doing. And how much sort of memorabilia do you have of your career? A fair amount. We kept a lot of stuff from the bread days, 1970 to 1973. It's in two big boxes, uh, someday destined to find its way into a scrapbook. And we've got a few posters and pictures. And, you know, I didn't keep every single thing, but we got enough stuff. As a matter of fact, it's enough. I got, you know, I've got so much junk all over the house anyway, I need to get rid of some of it. (laughs) Is it just you and your wife living at home now? Yes. You say you've been married for such a long time. In show business, it's so rare and so wonderful. What are the sort of key to it for you? Well, she's really a special person and uh, very helpful and understanding of what we're doing. And we were just extremely compatible. Uh, you know, what she can't do, I do. What I can't do, she does. And we made a good team. And there's just a lot of nice love and mutual respect there. So it's worked real good. Picking the right person has a lot to do with it. I should say so, yeah. And um, has she sort of got involved in your career at all? or is She's she... very helpful. Uh, mostly, you know, she helps make sure I look decent. And uh, she's pretty good with her ears. She's helped me do some recording and goes on tour quite frequently to help with the sound, walk around the hall and assist the sound, the mixer, and because she knows what I'm supposed to sound like, what the guitar is supposed to sound like, and and she can be of great help in that area. How difficult has it been for your children to grow up as your children, as it were? You know, it hasn't been a problem at all because of the low-profile thing you talked about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can give you, you know, they just really didn't know it was much different than any other household because we kept it that way. But the greatest example is a story we like to tell. When my daughter, oldest daughter, was 12... She and I and, and Joe Rita were home, and I was going to an interview. So I came in the kitchen, said goodbye and so forth, and, and my daughter spoke up and said, where's Dad going? And she said, he's going to an interview. Mm-hmm. And she said, why would anyone want to talk to Dad? <laughs> so that pretty much tells you what it was like. Oh. And what are they up to now, your children? Uh, the oldest boy is a heart surgeon, and he does uh, surgery on infants that are born with improper heart situations, and so he's a skilled surgeon. My other three children are lawyers. 
Yeah, got a doctor and three lawyers. How do you explain that then? Well, there's a lot of professional people in our family, our extended family, my uncles and aunts and my brothers, both one's a doctor, one's a doctorate of electrical engineering. There's just a high expectation for college and professional. It's there if you want it. And uh, when the oldest boy went to medical school and then the next girl went to law school, it kind of set an example for the younger two kids, and they all went to law, law school. And they really like it, and uh, they like music, but none of them were skilled enough in music to make a living at it. Was that a disappointment to you? No, because, you know, you, you got to have a lot of skill and perseverance in music. I wouldn't say luck, you, but you've got to, if you don't have a lot of talent, uh, you have to be extremely lucky, but you're probably wasting your time to try to make a living in music if, you don't re if you're not really good and outstanding at it, because it's just too competitive and there's too few slots available for success. Have they made you a granddad? Yes. How many times over? Five. And how do you feel about being a grandfather? Well, I'm not particularly thrilled about it, but it, it comes with the territory. <laughs> I bet you adore your grandchildren. Though, oh, yeah, they're good kids. Yeah. What do you think of George W.? Well, we, uh, we are registered Republicans, so we did vote for him, and I think he's off to a good start. Uh, you know, he's a country boy you know he's got a ranch so that immediately makes me identify with him yeah and i think that he's got a good team you know all those people that he's got are very experienced around him and they've had a lot of experience dealing with lots of different things so i think he does have a real good team have you ever played the white house and so never on? have oh they had a thing for gerald ford once in the los angeles area and they got me up on stage to sing a song when he was running for a re-election, but that's about my only touch with politics. Right. I kind of stay out of that stuff. Mm -hmm. How recognized are you? How often are you recognized? Very rarely. Is that a nice thing? i got a mustache now. You wouldn't even know me. I I've seen the mustache. It's been on the Internet. I've yeah, the well, it's, uh, you know, occasionally, but uh, it's pretty rare. It's nice. Have you ever been confused with the novelist David Gates? I, you know, what has happened is um, I've had a few people come up to me, this was three or four years ago, I saw your article in Newsweek. Oh, no. And I'd say, uh, that's must, and I didn't, the first time it ever happened, I said, yeah, I didn't write anything for Newsweek. And then I found out that there is a writer, and evidently mm. quite a good one. Yeah, he is. And, uh, of course, he's treading on my name, of course. <laughs> but uh, I was first with it. <laughs> but if it does him some good, so be it. What do you like to do away from work these days? Well, my wife and I play golf a fair amount, and we visit with the kids, and working in the studio, I, I like to do a little bit of gardening, we travel some, and so it's just, you know, pretty, pretty much the same thing everybody else is doing, I guess. And how much time do you spend working these days? Is it sort of increasingly less? It is less. Uh, I've never spent eight hours a day, really, at home working on music. It's not something you approach that way. It's something that you do when you're inspired. It might be morning, afternoon, or evening, but it's never long, long periods of time. I'd say the most working environment is when you go on tour. Then that's all you think about is protect your voice and do the sound check and do the concert and travel and so forth. That's the most intense environment. Do you think you'll ever retire? From performing, probably, but I hope to keep writing, and I have some sort of semi-classical and sort of musical uh, type of songs that might be used in a musical, a Broadway musical. 
Excellent. So I might go that direction uh, to get these songs out. And I'm, I'm stockpiling some of that stuff, too. What do you want to achieve with the rest of your life? Just write as many good songs as possible. Leave that legacy. And how do you want to be remembered after you're gone? Good songwriter. <laughs> 